It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in. Multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. Phone number 201-939-4513. You can also chat with us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. Directly interact with us. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platform, Platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants get their first win of the season, 20 to 19 over Washington. Joe Judge gets his first victory as a first-time head coach. Certainly two big positives from that perspective. We'll get into that. We'll get to your phone calls and your tweets along the way. And Paul, that's the big thing in the NFL. We know that you don't get brownie points, you don't get bonus points, style points, however you want to word it for how you get the W. The bottom line is you get the job done, and that's exactly what happened yesterday for the Giants. Well, that's the big difference between the NFL and the NCAA. For all those years, you had the AP Top 25 College Poll where you did get style points for blowing people out or winning pretty, if you will. In the National Football League, you get a little check mark in the W column and you move on. And that's what the Giants have to do. Look, there are so many people who say that the Giants could have won two or three games earlier in the year and didn't. So now for anybody who says they could have lost yesterday's game, well, they didn't. So it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. It is what it is. They got the victory. They're in a very muddied NFC East with three of their next four games within the division. And all of a sudden now, the month that we're staring at right now becomes really the fulcrum for what is going to happen for the 2020 season. Yeah, you're 100% right in terms of the schedule ahead, being able to do some damage within the division. But remember, the Giants need to take care of business themselves. They can't be relying on the fact that other teams are going to do the heavy lifting for them. There's no doubt about it, though. They knew the opportunity coming in where they were going to have five divisional games of their next six with just Tampa Bay mixed in. And we'll certainly look ahead as we get into the heart and soul of this quick turnaround week because, remember, the Giants are going to be playing Thursday night against the Eagles. But before we do that, Paul, let's get into the nuts and bolts from this game. And there are a few things that jump out to me. I think one of the biggest difference makers was the play in the trenches. And we talked about this entering this week's game. The fact that Washington, top six in the NFL, 15 sacks coming in. They weren't a great rushing team. Neither were the Giants, of course. And the Giants weren't necessarily a great team in the trenches in terms of pass protection, as we've seen over the course of the first five games. But the fact that the Giants were able to get more sacks and more quarterback hits than Washington and also run the football much more effectively, those were big difference makers because I look at 7 of 11 on third down for the Giants. Forget the percentage, which was 64%, which you certainly like. To me, it was more telling, Paul, that they had 
so many favorable downs and distances on third down. You're talking about eight downs for six yards or less, six for five yards or less. It's no coincidence. It's synonymous with one another. When you run the ball effectively, especially on the early downs, you get favorable third downs, and that, I think, was apparent all throughout this contest. Well, that is one of the reasons why Devontae Freeman is going to continue to become more and more important as the weeks go on. He has given them grit, and some semblance of a running game that at least can move the, the change or the sticks a little bit when they need to. You know, it, it's, it, it's we talk about it all the time, and of course I'm a big one for this, about having balance. Remember, balance doesn't necessarily mean a 50-50 split between the run and the pass. What it truly means is that you are forcing the defense to respect all aspects of your game and and when you need to run the ball in a particular situation strategically, functionally, transitionally, that you are capable of doing it functionally and effectively. That's what balance means. And I love the fact that I think Joe Judge, you know, tried to reiterate this to the newspaper guys last week because There's such a misnomer that balance means a 50-50 split. It's just not the case. The Giants had an outstanding conservative game plan against a very comparable foe that they knew they could beat, provided they executed the blueprint. So I give tremendous thumbs up to the coaching staff for doing what they did. I thought the game plan was terrific. The player deployment was outstanding. And then on top of that, they were functional in all of the aspects of the game that they needed to be. 26 runs, just 19 pass attempts for Daniel Jones. And within those 19 pass attempts, he pretty much spread the wealth because if you look at the targets, four for Slade and three apiece for Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, as well as C.J. Board, who, by the way, we're very happy to report he was released from the hospital and it is a concussion and a sprained neck. So that is certainly very good news for C.J. Board and we wish him well as he recovers from that significant hit that he took early in the contest. And then getting back to the targets, you also had two for Freeman and then one apiece for three different players. So it wasn't as if they leaned on anybody in particular. Daniel Jones, of course, did have the interception in the red zone, six on the season, three coming in the red zone. He was the first one to admit after the game, it's got to be cleaned up because when you win a game by one point, that could very well be something that comes back to bite you. And that's another difference maker as we continue to unwind this game because, Paul, they won the turnover battle which has not necessarily been a rare occurrence. The problem is they haven't turned winning the turnover battle into an actual W in the standings. That actually happened yesterday, and a big reason was, although Daniel Jones threw the interception and they walked away with no points on a very lengthy drive that went over nine minutes, they turned their two takeaways into touchdowns in terms of Tate Crowder getting into the end zone on a 43-yard fumble return, and then the Bradbury interception short in the field, and then Daniel Jones threw a 23-yard touchdown pass to Darius Slayton. So that, to me, was another significant difference maker. It's not just scoring off of takeaways, Paul. It's getting touchdowns off of takeaways. They did that on both tries. Yeah, they certainly made Washington pay. You look at this game, and very interesting in that each team only had eight possessions which really tells you how much of a of a slow tempoed tug of war, you know, bringing it down into the quicksand kind of game it was. Again, most NFL games you'll see each team get 11 possessions. 
Each team had only eight. The Giants with 46 snaps compared to only 69 for the Redskins. Uh, it does seem to be a lot of NFL games nowadays are somewhere in the vicinity of 74 snaps, 75 snaps a game. Uh, back in the day, you used to talk it about 65, but the tempo has increased, especially with a lot of the passing and stuff. So, you know, that's a low number for the Redskins, but an incredibly low number for the Giants. But thanks to the defensive score by Tay Crowder, who, by the way, I don't know if you saw it on my Twitter, uh, Lance, he is the first ever Mr. Irrelevant since the term and the celebration was created for the final NFL draft pick in 1976. Crowder, the first one ever to score a defensive touchdown. There have been 16 defensive players taken uh, of the 46 Mr. Irrelevance uh, since the, the week and the uh, ceremony came into play. And Crowder, one of five uh, Mr. Irrelevance to have recovered an NFL fumble and the only one to have scored a defensive touchdown. That And, and should we also mention, by the way, he had 10 tackles in the game. He was all over yeah. the place. Absolutely. He and Blake Martinez combined for 24 tackles. Each had double digits, and they were both very effective in terms of getting out and making those hustle plays. And remember, Kyler Fackrell comes up with the sack, the forced fumble, and Crowder picks it up. So Fackrell also has been playing a big role since Lorenzo Carter got hurt, and you need that type of performance from the entire linebacking core. It's not just one guy, and I think you know all three of those certainly you could highlight in terms of coming through with critical plays and making the timing of those plays count. I mean, that was the big thing. They needed it because Washington was moving the ball down the field, and Washington was gaining momentum and having its way with the Giants' defense, and that turned out to be the game-changer. Because then Washington was put in a position where it had to then march down the field and score, which it did. And then Ron Rivera chose to go for two, which I don't think was stunning, given the fact that he is known as Riverboat Ron because he likes to take his chances. I, though, personally, Paul, I was a little bit surprised, though, despite his track record, that under these circumstances he went for two because I think at that point— what Washington showed was they were able to move the football against the Giants' defense, and I get it. It's a flip-the-coin luck type of feel in overtime, but the Giants' offense had not been putting on a clinic, so I thought given game flow, Rivera would have actually went for the tie and taken his chances in overtime. Under the circumstances of the game, I was a little surprised that he decided to go that route. The logic in his favor of going for the two is that they always tell you go for the win on the road and go for the tie at home, so you could lean on that if you want to. The other thing you could lean on if you're Rivera is that you had just completed a 10-play, 75-yard drive. Had the Giants' defense basically with their tongues on the, on the ground, they're sucking wind as they just gave up a touchdown. They're emotionally deflated. His team, of course, is emotionally on a high, and he's thinking, okay, let's go get that two and just get out of here with the victory. I totally understand his perspective on this. And quite honestly, uh, Graham Gano as you know, was in Carolina when Ron yeah. Rivera was there. And Rivera is well aware that Gano can hit a 60-yard field goal to beat you. After all, he used him to beat the Giants a couple of years ago on a 60-plus-yard field goal on the final play of the game. So Rivera might have been thinking as well that uh, with 30 seconds left, if the Giants, uh, they'll get the touchback because we're not going to let them run it back. So they're going to be at the 25. 
So, okay, if they, they can move 40 yards on a few pass plays in 30 seconds, Gano's going to hit a 60-yarder, and, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, it wasn't necessarily a bad choice by Rivera to go for the two. Now, where the Giants did a sensational job is that it was informed to us after the game that Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, had put in this particular two-point defense on Friday as part of the game plan. And they practiced it Friday, and they practiced it again on Saturday, understanding that Rivera is one who likes to go for two. So this was specifically the defense that they had designed to stop him. And it worked to perfection. Ryan and Bradbury were manned up on the guys who they had to cover as Allen rolled to the left. And then you've got Lawrence and Martinez beating their guys up front so that they were able to flush him and then force him into just throwing the ball harmlessly away. Outstanding execution by the Giants' D. Nobody was open on the play. And an outstanding call and and really a testament to the preparation of this coaching staff, which I cannot say enough about. And it's a shame that they haven't gotten more victories and more fruits for their labor. But, hey, they got this one yesterday, and it's a starting point. Yeah, the execution on the two-point conversion was certainly on point. Also, the fact that they didn't really give Kyle Allen the option to run. He even admitted after the game he thought about it initially. He did not think he was going to beat Peppers, so that's why he sort of waited around, saw if something developed. So the positioning on that play Yeah, Big Dexter was staring him in the face, too. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. So, you know, they didn't really give him many alleys and many options. But in terms of the decision-making for Ron Rivera as to Graham Gano's leg, I get that. But remember, games don't end with kicking field goals. You'd still get another possession and an opportunity to respond. So that would be one thing that I would throw out. And the other thing would be the fact that— Wait a minute, how? How? If the Giants get the ball back with about 30 seconds to go and they go 40 yards and Gano kicks a field goal— Game's over. Giants. Well, win. I was thinking more in overtime. I'm, I'm not. Th- no, no. I'm not thinking about overtime. I'm thinking. Well, Ron you, well Rivera. you're saying that if in within 30 seconds. But then again, my point is the Giants did not prove throughout the course of that game that they were putting together lengthy drives and finishing them. But in that situation, so. how many times do we see teams go into that prevent defense? They wind up giving up two or three passes, and before you know it, the field goal kicker's got a shot of a 60-yarder. I think Rivera was concerned that the Giants might actually have an opportunity to give Gano a shot before the final gun. So therefore, you know, only taking the 21-20 to lead in Rivera's mind was not as safe as you might think. Well, and the other thing that I was going to bring up was, and because I listened to Rivera's press conference and I heard a lot of the things that he brought up, and he was emphasizing the philosophy is when you're on the road, you play to win. But the bottom line is, I don't think any team has significant home field advantage when there's no fans. So I don't really buy that logic anymore. I think if there's fans there, I'd buy that logic. Okay, you don't want the momentum to change. When it's an empty stadium... I really think that balances the scales a bit more. So, therefore, the philosophy of saying, hey, go for the win on the road, I don't think it holds nearly as much weight. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, bottom line is he did it. Uh, I, yep. don't think, I don't think you're going to get more than 50% either way who either think it was a good or a bad decision. If you don't like Rivera, you think it was a bad decision. If you like Rivera, you understand that that's the way he has made his name in this league, and you accept the fact that he had some logic behind it. 
Sure. Plus, remember, this was also the same coach that earlier in the game, and this is where the decision worked out great for him, yeah. where it was a fourth and nine. Austin Johnson runs into the punter. It becomes fourth and four, and he said, hey, I'm keeping my offense on the field. We're going to go for it, and they mm-hmm. wound up scoring a touchdown right before the end of the half. So he certainly throws his cards out on the plate. He makes it very clear where he stands, and he's been doing that throughout his career. So that's why I wasn't stunned. I just, when I heard his rationale after, I thought there was maybe more of a debate that could be had. Now, before we open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513, let's talk about perhaps some of the things that still need to improve for the Giants despite the victory. And I think I alluded to it somewhat, Paul, the trend of a touchdown or a score for the opposition right at the end of the half continues to play out. We've had all six opponents score. The Rams had the field goal. All five other opponents have scored a touchdown. Remember, the Niners actually scored twice because there was an interception and they tacked on a field goal. And the problem is these five touchdown drives, they're all at least 70 yards. It's not as if they're marching halfway down the field, Paul. They're putting together lengthy drives. Well, I I was talking about this last week with somebody, and I said, you know, it seems to me, and and it might have even been with Joe and Evan on the fan, what's happened here with the Giants is that for their improved pass rush, as good as it's been, they've had trouble getting to the quarterback in the two-minute drill. They have no sacks going into this weekend's game. Of their 12 sacks that they had had in the first five matchups, they had zero when going against the other team's two-minute drill. And that's the point when you need to get a stop. And that's when a sack can really destroy and short-circuit the other team's drive. Well, in those moments, the Giants' pass rush was coming up empty. I was actually very impressed by the fact that on this two-point conversion, which clearly the Panthers were in a passing mode and mind, that they got the heat. That Lawrence beat his guy, that Martinez beat his guy, and there was traffic in front of Allen so that he had a problem. Uh, In most cases, when the Giants have been in that spot, the pass rush has not come close to getting home. And that is why teams have eaten them up on two-minute drives throughout the course of the early part of this season. It's really very simple, Lance. It's not hard. Sometimes people are looking through the closet trying to find that, that, that umbrella in the back of the, uh, of the darkness. No, you don't have to. This is very simple. Two-minute drive, Giants pass rush, for the most part, this season, has not gotten it done. And on the other side, the other team's pass rush during the Giants' two-minute drives has been ferocious The Giants' offensive line has had leakage, and that is exactly why the Giants' record is 1-5 right now. And that also goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of playing the trenches being a difference maker, and that proved to be true at least in the entirety of the game against Washington. Quick side note related to the offensive line, we should mention Andrew Thomas did not start. Now, Joe Judge, after the game, said that it was a violation of team policy, and Andrew Thomas then released a statement through the Giants' PR department saying that he was late for a team meeting. It won't happen again. He's learned his lesson. So Matt Paert and Andrew Thomas, it was really 50-50. Paert had 26 snaps. Thomas had 22. Yeah. And Paert, I thought, played very effectively. And we're seeing this young 
third-round pick now get experience on both the left side and the right side through the first six games. And, you know, that I think is going to be extremely beneficial here moving forward. He's being weaned in, and the coaches have obviously liked what they've seen. He's earned the opportunity, and they have accelerated his development. This is a guy who, when he was drafted, was thought to be a redshirt tackle who, if by some stretch of the imagination, was able to potentially wrestle a starting job away from somebody, okay, great, but that's gravy. In all honesty, Parrott Parrot is supposed to be in the starting competition for 2021. And the fact is, he has done well in his short stints the last couple of weeks to the point where you're now looking at him and saying, holy smokes, maybe this guy is a comer even faster than the Giants had anticipated. And you know what? If he has to play significant snaps at some point this rookie season, maybe he's going to be a lot better off than people even imagined. And that's what Joe Judge has been emphasizing. It's the same thing with Bill Belichick in New England. You coach up the entire 53-man roster and then some, and you try to get these guys opportunities. And the Giants certainly have been subscribing to that philosophy. The other philosophy that Judge has been preaching and I think has held true throughout games is that they're going to maximize the entire roster. And there's going to be some games, Paul, where one guy gets X amount of snaps, and in the next game, it may not be anywhere near the same. Case in point, Marcus Golden. Golden plays 57 snaps last week against the Cowboys, and Lorenzo Carter gets hurt, and we're thinking, okay, maybe the snaps are going to stay steady. And what? He had, I think, 24 snaps yesterday. So there's another example how things are going to fluctuate game to game based on how they see this personnel grouping fit well up against the opposition from a week-to-week basis. Again, this goes to the intelligence of the coaching staff. They decide that okay, Tate Crowder is going to be a better matchup in this game with the personnel we have and what Washington brings to the table. And Tate Crowder turns out to have a monster game. You know, and Fackrell, of course, got a ton of snaps. In fact, his percentage, as I take a look, he played every single defensive snap yesterday. Yeah. And what can you say about him now? Each of the last two weeks, he's been involved in a touchdown-causing turnover. I mean, how could you complain about that? And this is a guy who three, four weeks ago was kind of like an afterthought, right? I mean, he was kind of getting, you know, into the rotation, but he wasn't a significant part of it. And now the last two weeks, he's absolutely a significant part. He's a staple in there. So, you know, this is what we're talking about with this coaching staff that is so smart, that is so on top of things, that they're able to maximize the usage of whatever it is that their guys are bringing to the table. I mean, look. You remember uh, during the pregame show uh, yesterday, I thought it was funny. You know, John John was kind of chuckling when I said to him, you know, uh, McLaurin's not going to have a huge day. Well, I, I, he had like 70 yards. but And I said, if you remember, how do you know they're going to put Bradbury on him? If they put Bradbury on him as a shadow, I think he'll, he'll, he'll shut him down. I was very confident about that because I've seen Bradbury play. But at the same time, I also said, The big question here is, are you so sure the Giants are going to do it? You remember when I said that? Don't be so sure they're going to do that. Maybe they got something else up their sleeve on this. Maybe he doesn't travel with McLaurin. And who was on him most of the day? Ryan Lewis. And I believe that McLaurin only caught one pass when Bradbury was on him during the game yesterday. That's it. And the rest, most of the rest of the game, it was Ryan Lewis on him. The Giants played an awful lot of zone. And, again, this goes to the coaching staff understanding what they have and constructing a blueprint that gives them the best chance to provide a victory. 
and then it's up to the players to execute it. And that's all you can ask. And I and I got to laugh when, you know, people say, oh, they only scored 20 points. Oh, they didn't even have 300 yards of offense. Blah, 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 this. Blah, 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 that. It's hysterical to me. that, Like you said, this isn't about the NCAA Top 25 poll where you get style points. The idea is coach what you have, figure how you can give your players the best chance to get out of there with a victory, and then go do it. Mission And mission I'm completely with you there. The only thing I will add to that, Paul, though, is in fairness, the offense was responsible for 13 of the 20 points, okay? They did get a defensive touchdown each of the last two weeks, which you know you can't bank on happening every week. I think it is fair to say, despite the fact that they won the game and nobody's taken that away from them, and I agree with you, nobody should ever apologize for how they get a win in the NFL. Not in this league. You play who's on your schedule, that's it. Simple as that. But the red zone issues continue to be an issue, Paul. They had three opportunities. They were 0 for 3. One resulted in a turnover. There were a lot of negative plays on each of those drives. Daniel Jones was sacked on one. You had back-to-back negative plays by yep. Devontae Freeman. So, you know, that's the type of stuff that I think has to be cleaned up, Paul, I would argue, sure. against no matter who the opponent is. No, no. Lance, let's make this very clear. This was not, absolutely positively not, a painting you'd want to put in the Louvre, okay, as a masterpiece. It was not. What it was was an outstanding job of coaching and an effective job of executing the game plan. Was it outstanding football per se? No. No. Daniel Jones, he knows that ball should have gone into the fifth row. It should have gone into the tarpaulin behind the the end zone. He has no business throwing that ball anywhere near the end zone, the one that was intercepted by Fuller. Although I would say to you, uh, you could look at that replay a hundred times. And Fuller's elbow hit the back line. I thought it was borderline. I think it could have easily gone either way, in my opinion. Well, I don't, I don't know how blurry your monitor was, but Mine clearly was Fuller's crystal clear. elbow. I watched it just as many times as you. You know, Fuller's elbow clearly hit the line, and I, I think it'd be 100 out of 100. That needs to be overturned. But having said that, Jones needs to know that ball can't go anywhere near the end zone. I don't want Will Chamberlain having a chance to come up with an interception in that situation. So that was a just a terrible, terrible decision and throw by the quarterback. So, yeah, there are still things that have to be fixed. I totally concur. But I think to your earlier point, and we really got to get to the calls, but this vaunted Washington defensive front, and again, the game plan had a lot to do with this, but that's to the coach's credit. They had one sack, okay, and five quarterback hits. Think about that, Lance, for yeah. just a second. One sack and five quarterback hits. And the Giants had three sacks and eight quarterback hits. As I said to you the other day, and I said it again on the pregame show, never more than this game, the trenches are going to decide it. They usually do anyway. But this game, it was obvious, especially when the Redskins' only advantage in this game really was their defensive front. Their defensive line was truly their only advantage coming into the game. And the Giants neutralized it. It's the strongest aspect of their team, and it's the one that's expected to do the most heavy lifting. And the Giants did a really good job containing that group and not allowing them to be disruptive. Because remember, 
Daniel Jones had been sacked two times, at least two times, in each of the previous five games, and the Cowboys had 10 quarterback hits. So they sliced that in half against a Washington front that had five first-round picks in the mix, and Kerrigan got a sack pretty early, and we're saying to ourselves, "Uh uh-oh, Kerrigan the Giants killer, here he comes, and then you didn't really hear about him after that. So once again, I think that speaks volumes of the job that the Giants did in the trenches. As you are listening to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery, get out there and play, and a reminder, Giants fans, Get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card. Security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you, recapping the Giants' first win of the season, 20-19 to over Washington. Let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. Peter is in the Florida Keys. Peter, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey, guys, I have a couple uh, quick points, and then I had a question for you after I rolled through a couple of these notes I made. Um, I think you guys had a lot of really good nuggets about the third down, how successful they were. I really believe that the game plan was excellent. It was the best complimentary football game that we had so far. I feel that the defense is very promising. I'm very, very happy so far with what we see. Offense, I think they're going to come along. The reason why is because our schedule, the next few games, not only divisional games, but I think Daniel Jones is going to kind of get his flow. I think he's going to start scoring more touchdowns, and we're going to really be happy with both sides of the of the ball here. Um, couple, you you, you like the touchdown pass to Slayton? Did you like that? Oh, it was a great. Yeah, yeah, it's one. Yeah, you know, it's one. It's, it's only one, one we but need but to bump that up. as much as I, I as much as I want to hammer him for for yeah. the pick that shouldn't have been a pick. I have to yep. praise him for dropping that ball right where it had to oh. be. What a pretty throw, huh? Really was. Great throw. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, i, I got to share something with you. As I finished watching the game, I was kind of in a blah feeling. The reason why is I felt initially that we won on a technicality. You know, and, you know, originally, you know, nine out of the ten times, uh, teams are going to kick that extra point. They're going to tie it, bring it into overtime. The momentum has shifted on the side of Washington when they scored that, that score. But after thinking about it, you know, what are the, what's one of the most important things to do? The Giants are 0-5. A win is a win. I don't care how we get the damn win. We just need to get the win, specifically when you're playing against bad teams. When you're playing against the bad teams that you're expected to win, you better win the damn game. And they did. So that kind of redirected my thinking with respect to that. Um, another quick point. I know we have to say it. Bradbury, what a great signing that was. Week in, week out, what an excellent signing. I'm absolutely so, so happy that Gettleman not only knew the guy, and people hammer Gettleman all the time about, oh, they picked, he picked him, he picked him. At the end of the day, with respect to the free agencies that didn't work out or the draft, what a slam dunk so far through six games Bradbury was. Um, yeah, he's had three takeaways, two interceptions, the fumble recovery, oh, and he's pretty much done a great job in quieting whoever he gets matched up with. Plus, he leads the NFL and passes defense. So I'd say the early results through six games, I think you'd sign up for that every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. And as long as you're talking free agents, uh, let, let's not forget Martinez, who was among the NFL tackle leaders. Uh, Fackrell, the last couple of weeks, who has truly come on strong. Graham Gano has been absolutely phenomenal 
in terms of kicking. The guy's been money in the bank. Uh, Logan Ryan has played how many different positions already for this team? I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Dave, Dave Gettleman has done a sensational job in 2020. Agreed, agreed. So here's here's my question. I know you have other callers. I just wanted to get this out there. So now that we've gotten through six full games, what I wanted to ask both of your opinions are, what do you feel the identity of the team is currently? Now, for me, what I absolutely love is it sounds to me, and I'm not a big analytical guy. I'm not a, you know, I watch a game for enjoyment, and slowly I'm learning, you know, the ins and outs of the game. But to me, the identity so far is it's a power run scheme. And that's for one. I wonder if it's still going to be a power run scheme if Saquon is back in the lineup. Second, I feel like, I feel like uh, um, our offensive coordinator, he throws a lot of short stuff right at the sticks. I would absolutely love him opening up and throw a deeper ball, but I know that goes with the protection and all that stuff. It's, it's a little interwoven. And then lastly, I absolutely love how what a great run by Daniel Jones. I, I, I know it faked me out. I know it faked out probably most of the uh, the fans watching the game, but what a great call. I love how he's opening up the, the field for Daniel to use his legs. So th- those are my identity type points that I experienced and um, analyzed. I'd love to hear your, your points on that as well. And thank you for my call. All right, Peter. Appreciate the phone call. Paul, I'll let you start if you want to take that. I, I don't know that there's there's really anything to say there except that Saquon Barkley uh, won't be back until 2021. And even then, you know, all fingers are crossed that he's the same guy. To worry about how he fits this run scheme today just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's irrelevant at this point. I don't think we need to worry about the 2021 scheme and the fit. I think they got to get through 2020 before we start worrying about 21. I'll I'm say in this, with you there. Devontae Freeman, if he keeps going like he's going, he'll have a job in, in 2000, uh, 2021. I think some somebody, if, if not here, and you know who knows what's going to happen here, but I think this guy belongs on an NFL team. He stays healthy. He could carve out a role. It never hurts to have multiple running backs and multiple options. I think we've seen that across the board in the NFL, not just with the Giants. And he brings you something different that Saquon doesn't necessarily bring to the table. So I don't think that hurts them at all. It depends on, of course, what happens in free agency and the draft. As far as the identity of the team, you know, I still think the Giants are in the feeling out process. I do think that the rushing attack has shown some bright spots over the last few weeks. And I would say that that has opened things up a little bit more or it's given them some consistency in drives. So if you were asking me on offense, what's the strength? It's definitely the rushing attack as opposed to the passing. And I think the reason why the deep ball hasn't been there is part of it, pass protection, part of it, separation. I know a lot of people on the postgame show yesterday, Paul brought up, well, why isn't Evan Ingram getting targeted as much? Well, here's my response to that. Paul, if you're a defensive coordinator, you look at the Giants personnel right now. You've got no Saquon Barkley. There's no Sterling Shepard. I understand you have Darius Slayton, but who is your focal point to remove? It's Evan Ingram. You want C.J. Board and Devontae Freeman and all those other guys to beat you. You'd gladly sign up for that. So when people ask, well, why isn't Evan Ingram having monster games? Well, where do you think the defense is going? Who do you think they're trying to take away from the game plan at this point? Well, you know, didn't they play double tight ends almost half their snaps yesterday? They did? Yeah, so, so, so they were going with a heavy package. 
And, you know, that in itself usually doesn't lend your tight end going deep downfield on routes. Sure. There's no doubt about it. All of those factors, I think, come into play as to why, you know, he hasn't put up necessarily monster numbers. And then as far as the defense is concerned, you know, they've been an opportunistic defense. You know, we're seeing the takeaways, which have been fairly consistent. So I think that's promising. You know, whether or not that carries out evenly across the season, that remains to be seen. But I think the pass rush has shown consistency, and those opportunistic plays have shown some consistency. So those, I think, are two things that are extremely encouraging, at least from a defensive standpoint. Let's head back to the lines. Scott is in New Mexico. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? All right, Scott. What do you got? Uh, two things. I echo the sentiments of uh, the last caller, but and also uh, I'm delighted with the win. I also think that Matt Pert, uh, I wanted to single out a couple plays before I get to my main point. But uh, Matt Pert played very well. I'd like to see him play a little bit more. I actually think he played a little bit better than Andrew Thomas in the game. But uh, I was hoping they'll they'll use him a little bit more because he really was efficient, I think, at the tackle position. Uh, but another player I wanted to call out that nobody's really talking a lot about who's playing exceptional football, and I didn't realize he's had a bad ankle since the beginning of the season, is Darius Slayton. If he's not one of the top ten receivers in the NFL, he should be considered that. Because even though he only, I think he only had two catches yesterday. Yeah. Uh, to do it on a bad ankle and to be able to get that separation is kind of amazing to me. And I don't think he's getting the praise that he should be getting. So I just wanted to mention that. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I would actually consider him one of the top ten receivers in the league right I now. I think Phil Sims on last Thursday's show, I was on with John and in the Sims spotlight. I specifically addressed Slayton to Phil, and he said, no, no, especially after the 100-yard game against Dallas the previous week, there's no, there's no doubt he's not just a nice player and right. a surprising fifth-round draft pick. This guy is a, is, he is a legit threat now. He is he has raised his game to the point where now you got to think about Darius Slayton. Right, I agree. And, he does a uh, great job making plays for the quarterback. I think that's what stands out, whether it right. be on the sideline, whether it be obviously the grab in the end zone. You want to see a receiver that helps your quarterback as much as the quarterback helping the receiver. And he also had a very good rookie year. Now, we always say, well, let's keep expectations in check. Let's see what happens the following year. And to his credit, he has certainly picked up where he left off. I'll and they needed him because I'll... of all the other injuries. So, you know, he's certainly commanded that it. role and he's come through. But doing it on a bad ankle is even more amazing. Scott, I'm going to give you a stat that I gave Slayton last week. I had him, and I know the interview I did with him was up on Giants.com in the app, uh-huh. but it was also part of our MSG First and Ten show this past week. Uh, I, I said to Darius, because I've been talking during the offseason, how if he's going to raise his game to the next level, what he's got to do is not just make these 15- and 16-yard average catches that he's making, but he has to get them more in key spots, in clutch situations. Well, last year, only 66% of his receptions resulted in a Giants first down. Going into this past game, he he just had two, and obviously you saw what he did. You know, he he had the two that he got. Going into this weekend's game, 83% of this year's Slayton catches had gone for first downs. I believe it was 19 out of 23. And that's very impressive, obviously. It's huge. That's what takes him to the next level. Right. In regards to the game, uh, I agree with you, Paul, in the sense that uh, they played a phenomenal two-point conversion defense. But I'm a little 
I'm wondering about one thing on the defensive side. They played a very good game, but they allowed a touchdown in the Dallas game. Couldn't you know close that out, so to speak. And in this game, they did the same thing in the fourth quarter. And obviously, Ron Rivera went for two points, and thankfully, they didn't make it. But I'm wondering, <clears throat> they played pretty much the whole game really very well, but at the end of the game, they seem to have lapses. I was wondering if you can attribute that to anything. Well, it's what I talked about earlier, Scott. It's, it's in the two-minute drill. The Giants' pass rush has not been getting home. I mean, how? look, you watch the games. How right. many times do you sit there? literally wanting to throw something at the screen because in a two-minute drill, you're watching the other quarterback scramble around for five and a half or six seconds, and then all of a sudden fires a pass downfield, complete first down, move the change, and the Giants' defense is on its heels again. How many right. times do you have to see that and, and but, say, but can what, somebody what, get that quarterback? How do you correct it, Paul? I mean, they did it in the Pittsburgh game as well. I think the score was 16-10. to 10. They still were in that game. Yeah, well, you're talking about all the drives really at the end of the first half. It's not so much at the end of the game, Scott. It's more of at the end of the first half. That's why I'm saying it's in the two-minute drill. Because the two-minute drill gets done at the end of the first half and at the end of a game. And that's where the Giants have had – so how do you correct it? I was talking about – I think I was with Fegels maybe the other day too. And I said, listen, the way I see it, there's only two ways to fix that. One, your guys have to dig in, and and you need to know that, hey – this is where the buck has to stop, and your front has to make sure that, hey, sacks during the rest of the game are nice, but this is where you need to stop. This is right. where you need to short circuit. You've got to get to that quarterback, win your matchup. That's number one. Second part of this is if the Giants begin to get more uh, trustworthy with their secondary, Patrick Graham can maybe start sending extra heat. And right. I think part of the thing is, They've had three different starting safety combinations in the first six games of the year. That's not very easy, okay, to deal with. They've also had three different guys play in the opposite corner of Bradbury. So the secondary has been a Rubik's Cube, which may be one of the reasons why in those two-minute drills that perhaps, and i I got to do the workup on the numbers on this, I suspect that his blitz packages have either been few and far between and the ones that they've sent have been very simple ones because I'm, I'm not sure yet that he has complete trust and confidence and faith in the combinations they've been using in the secondary in those situations. Once he does, now you could take the handcuffs off and maybe start coming with more heat. Right. You know, the other thing related to that, now mm-hmm. that you're talking about the alignments of players, and I'd have to go back and look at this too, I'd be curious how much of an opportunity in those two-minute drills that Patrick Graham has had an opportunity to substitute players. Because, remember, the one thing that comes to mind when the opposition's running the hurry-up offense, they're not giving the defense an opportunity to make as many changes as you would during normal game flow. So that's something also that I think may play a role. He's not able to switch in and out players in different positions because of the fact that they go and hurry up and the guys need to stay on the field you know so the dynamics are a little bit different Scott versus how you would maybe tackle a team over the course of a lengthy drive in the third quarter or something to that degree okay uh one last point then I'll, I'll let you take some more calls um I side with you, Lance, in the sense that uh, the team still only scored 13 points offensively, yet they played a very good offensive game, which is kind of crazy to say. But is there a way, or do you, or either of you, do you see a way with the running game now starting to kick in a little bit 
that they can do uh, uh, maybe a little bit because the game plan offensively was really a good one, but they're not scoring points. So the real key is how do you increase that so you can it be more reflective? Do you need to run more or do you need to do more run RPOs? Or what do you think is the one characteristic that might allow them to go to the next level where they can actually get a beyond, say, 20 points? i got a better question for you, Scott. Important. How many points do you think you need? Even Sims said last week he thought 20 points was going to win the Washington game. How right. many points do you think? I think it really becomes a week-to-week matchup thing. How many I points, agree with you. How many points do you think they need to have a chance to beat Philly on Thursday? How many points do they need to beat Philly? Yeah. Well, if you watch Philly yesterday, I'd say they probably need, I'm going to guess now, maybe 24. Okay. I think There's, they need more. So, I think they need more about like 27 to 30, to okay. be honest okay. with you. So, so that says to you now, you're going to have to start to open it up a little bit more because the right. game plan you used and the blueprint you used to beat Washington was designed to beat a team that is clearly challenged on, on both sides of the ball, quite okay. frankly, but especially offensively. Against Philly, you're going to have to do some more. Although, and boy, do I hate to say this after what happened with San Francisco, that Eagles team right now, their wings have been clipped. They oh, are they've been so, banged up. Yeah. They are so badly battered, but so was San Francisco, and look what happened. Right. So well, and I don't Philadelphia want to lean put on up that. 28 points against Baltimore, which I is know. one of the best defenses in the NFL. But so now they, Sanders, they scored, Sanders and Ertz are hurt. those points towards the end of the game. Yes, I mean, they did. You know, they did, when, but, but when Scott, it really doesn't matter. You have X amount of minutes to score, and sure. when you score, you yeah. score. So. And, and now Absolutely. Sanders yeah. and Ertz are both going for MRIs this morning and may not be available. So this is a very, very banged-up team, but I don't want to get caught in that trap again because look what the Niners did well forget the trap of the Niners it's got to appreciate the phone call let's not forget Paul and I understand that the team has changed if you remember late last season the Giants went to Philly they built that big lead Slayton had two touchdowns Philadelphia had what three healthy wide receivers they were converting running backs to wide receivers tight ends to wide receivers and they came back in one so they've got a track record of manipulating their roster that coaching staff. So I don't want to hear anybody tell me that this is going to be a layup line, whether or no. not Sanders or Ertz play. No, you can't. No. You Come can't. on. Yeah. I mean, so the Eagles that. have that. beaten the Giants 20 of the last 24 times they've played, Lance. Yeah. 20 that. out of 24. Who, who, That's why I don't want to hear no, anything about the no, Niners no, game. No, no. Niners I'm, game I'm is not irrelevant. saying. I'm yeah. not. I'm exact. What I'm saying is be warned not to fall into that trap. Because the Eagles can go out there with 15 practice squad guys and come up with victories because that's what they've done, especially against this team. So, no, you've you got to be extremely worried about going into the link. That's been a house of horrors for the Giants. They're 6-12 and 12 since that building opened in, in the link. I mean, and Tom Coughlin's the only coach of, in Giants vintage who has, who has won a game there. They're very difficult to close out games and also hold on to leads, too. That's been also apparent in the matchups in Philadelphia. As you're listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by the New York Lottery, get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Monday's edition, recapping the Giants' 20-19 win over Washington. Matt is on Long Island. He joins us. What's happening, Matt? Hi, guys. Hi. What's happening? What do you got? Well, we won. <laughs> so that was good. A um, couple quick observations, and uh, I think Scott brought it up. I, I think, what do we have, 10 days, 11 days off after this Thursday game? Paul, would, would you expect to see Pert in, inserted as a starter at one of those spots by that Tampa game? No. No, I, I don't think really? so. What What happened yesterday was because of team policy. Andrew Thomas was late for a team meeting on Saturday, 
and consequently, he lost snaps because of it. Unless something dramatic happens in Philadelphia that would flip the tide, and I do believe, quite frankly, by the way, that Joe Judge is not going to be afraid to reward guys who earn spots, and it will come at the expense of guys who maybe haven't earned their spots. Now, if for some reason uh, this weekend or this Thursday in Philadelphia, you know, Perk gets his snaps, if he does, and he might not play at all. Let's not forget that either. The snap count here varies week to week with all these guys. That's the way this staff runs their business. If Perk does play and performs extremely well and one of the two tackles does not, maybe there's a chance that Perk gets more snaps the following week against Tampa Bay. But right now, if you said to me, predict the fact that Pert has a real chance to be the starter in two weeks, I would, I would not go down that road at all. Yeah, it's going to fluctuate. Okay. You can't go one game dictating the other. I think we've learned that over the first six. I think it's clear, though, that you will see more snaps out of Pert. Whether or not he starts a game, you will see him play some more snaps before this season is over. Well, There's because no he's consistently been worked in over the last few games. So and he's I, done I don't okay. Think that's crazy at all. He's yeah. done fine. Right, so I would think that, you know, considering Fleming is on a one-year deal, that they probably want to get an extended look at him you know, at some point this season. But my other point uh, that I wanted to make, and I'll kind of take your answer off the air, there has been a trend, and I understand the week-to-week game plan, uh, and, and, you know, you have to take your opponent into effect, but third and eight, oh, I'm sorry, third and two, fourth and two at the 38-yard line of the Redskins, you can't punt there. You you, you got to go for those. They did the same thing in the Rams game. They were down 10-9. It was 4th and 4 on the, in the Rams 40s. They punted there. For an offense that is struggling to score, when they're on the cusp of those scoring territory plays, I really think they need to be a little bit more aggressive there and, and, and go for those and try to capitalize on some of these drives. So I'll, I'll take your answer off the air. Thanks for taking my call. And, hey, we got a win, and we're still right in it. So let's go Giants. All right, Matt. Appreciate Lance, the phone call. Lance, I'd like to take this because I got a tweet about it uh, overnight, and I tried to explain to the guy that the situation was this. Giants had fourth and two with the Washington 38, opening drive of the third quarter. They're up 13-10. to 10. They went to the hard count to try to draw Washington off sides to get the first down. They didn't bite on it. So then on fourth and seven from the 43, they decide to punt the football. I don't have a problem with that for a couple of reasons. One, the defense had been playing extremely well to that point. And Riley Dixon has been very reliable. He has done a marvelous job of kicking balls either out of bounds or with the Australian kick, you know, pooching them inside the 10-yard line. The idea there is make sure you tilt and flip the field and bury the struggling Redskins offense, which is now going to have to come on the field against a defense that, you know, you believe, if you're Joe Judge, has played very well. And let's see if you can pin them back inside the 10 and really tilt this field in the opposite direction and go from there. I thought the strategy was absolutely the right way to go. The thinking, though, is that Dixon is going to pooch that ball. Well, he shanked it. Now, Madre Harper, if you remember the play on the punt, Madre Harper got down inside the red red team's five-yard line. And he was just sitting there waiting to down that ball inside the five. But instead, Dixon shanked it. And it wound up going out of bounds at the Washington 19. So the net gain was was only about 20 yards. Yeah, it was 24 yards. And as a result, it looks like a bad decision in retrospect. But strategically going into the play, 
It's absolutely the right decision. You're counting on Dixon to do what he does really, really well, and he just happened to shank it. Had he hit it the way he's capable of, like we know we've seen how many times, the Giants are down in that ball in all likelihood around the five-yard line, and, and you've set up Washington exactly where you want them. Well, and Washington went three and out anyway, so they didn't really do anything even though they took over on the 19. They went three and out. The drive halted at the 25, and then the Giants went on that extremely lengthy nine-minute drive. The problem is it ended in a turnover. It's funny that people asking about you know being more aggressive because I got a call on the postgame show yesterday that on the third and two from the Washington 11 where – you had the penalty, so it set up a first and goal at the Washington 7, you know, that maybe they should be more aggressive in the red zone. Now, granted, Daniel Jones was going to try to throw it away, but there was a previous red zone drive, too. That was the one where Freeman had the two negative plays, and then Jones, remember, ran for nine yep. to set up a fourth and two, and they took the three points that they should have went for it then. And, you know, to the caller's point, Maybe for other teams, it's a luxury where you know you're going to get 75 more possessions and you can make up for it. The Giants do not have that luxury. So when you're in the red zone, you have to really pick and choose when you're being aggressive, especially against a struggling Washington team offensive. you got to take the points, which is take the field goal. Hey, try to cushion your lead at that point and make it a yeah. two-possession game, which exactly. is what it did. That, I think, is much more sensible than being ultra-aggressive. You walk away with nothing, and then you don't get – many at-bats after that, and we talked about they only had eight at-bats to begin with. The Giants are just not in the position to say, hey, let's keep our foot on the pedal and constantly have the mindset of going for it on fourth down. Well, if I you, just don't think that that benefits this team right now. If you go into the game understanding that the roadmap is going to be probably the first team to get to 20 is going to survive and win and that you probably are not going to get 10 possessions on either side of the ball, well, then you have to, following that logic, you have to go for the three there because it puts you up by two scores. Sure. Yeah. And that's exactly what I said in response. You're no right. No doubt about it. You're right. Let's head back to the lines. Doug is in Rochester. Doug, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey, how's it going, guys? I ain't talked to you in a while. Um, Hi, right, Doug. Good yeah, to hear from you. You You were just talking about that That um, at the two-yard line field goal. Um, do you think he did that because they were playing the Redskins or not? Um, I'd like to hear from both of you guys on that. Then I want to talk a little bit about the Eagles. We just well, I think we it, just touched yeah. on it. I, I think it was twofold. Number one, I think it's the fact that the Giants' offense has not been putting on a clinic each week. Remember, they had a defensive touchdown each of the last two weeks, and they've scored more touchdowns on shorter fields than going 70-yard drives and putting up scores. All you have to do is look at the evidence, which is overwhelming. So I think that was part of it. And I think the other part of it was, as Paul brought up, the defense at that point's playing well. Washington is not scoring a boatload of points. So why not cushion your lead, make it a two-possession game, let the defense continue to control the tempo, and walk out of there with a W? I think it was twofold. Okay, yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, but then I was talking about the Eagles, um, yeah, the, the pressure with Carson Wentz, um, the, the Eagles almost came back against the Ravens. Um, they're going to have to put the pressure up uh, on Carson Wentz. He can't sit in that pocket. They're going to have to put their hands up because he, he he throws low. So they have to get their hands up, the defensive linemen. Everybody's got to get their hands up. And they definitely got to put pressure on him. You put pressure on Carson, he may throw an interception and he gets erratic a little bit. Interesting numbers off of that Baltimore-Philadelphia game. Now, yes, they did have two touchdown drives in the final seven minutes to get the game to, to within two, but 
the Eagles had 11 of 14 possessions in the game that were four plays or less. They only held the ball for 23 minutes. Uh, Wentz, this was his first game without an interception this season. He was sacked six times and took 16 quarterback hits. That's 16. Remember when Eli took 12 against San Francisco out in Candlestick in the playoffs in 2011? 12. This was 16. I mean, the Giants has got it for for them to have a chance. They they have to put pressure on Wentz. He can't just be sitting back there because they eat your lives. Yeah, this. Well, remember that's Baltimore's defense too. We're talking about. I mean, oh, there's no question. There's no question. Let's let. Here's another thing, by the way. Speaking of those numbers, Paul, you mentioned the time of possession, and it was lopsided in favor of Baltimore, but Baltimore also had 12 penalties for 132 yards. And if you go back and watch that game, there were a number of big pass interference calls. So yep. Philadelphia didn't have to put together lengthy drives because the Ravens cut away half the field from stupid penalties. So yeah. that was well, another fact. To further enhance that, uh, there was only one on the other side of the ball. Baltimore had only one drive of longer than 50 yards in the game. And yet, yeah, look at the yeah, points that, that they put up. Yeah. You know, so oh, because they're an opportunistic, aggressive team. Yeah, that, that exactly. sets up nicely for their right. offense. Plus, Lamar Jackson had a big touchdown run, so that was another reason why. You know, they have those explosive plays. So, you know, makeup yeah, of opponents um, also dictates game flow, which mm-hmm. is what Paul and I have been talking about. Matchups make fights, my friend. Yes. No doubt about it. Okay, well, I'll ask you one more, um, one Real more quick. question. Yeah. Take it off the air. Take it off the air. What? The Giants have so much trouble getting that ball in the end zone. And what do you think the biggest problem for them is? Is, is it the, the offensive line not blocking? Because, I mean, you see, like, they had a first and seven when you do the interception, and a first and six when they kick the field goal from the goal. I mean, what, what do you think really is the problem getting the ball in the end zone? Well, Doug, appreciate the phone call. I think it's crystal clear based on what has transpired over these last few weeks. It's penalties, okay? They've gone backwards instead of forwards because of false starts, uh, issues on the offensive line. That's number one. Number two, if you look specifically at the Washington game, you know, Devontae Freeman had no room for penetration. I think there was one play where I think his feet got a little too happy and started dancing, and that gave Washington an opportunity to all of a sudden circle him. And... Those negative plays have been absolute killers. Plus, Paul, the other thing we talk about a lot, even though the Giants ran the ball effectively over the course of the game, when you get into the red zone, you now have limited space, Mm -hmm. okay? So the way you spread out is very different. The way the defense is looking at you is very different. And I think the Giants in small spaces, the rushing attack doesn't seem to be as effective as when you're working maybe more in the middle of the field. Yeah, it, because it now comes down to making sure that your guys win those matchups. Each guy's got to, as Judge says and Belichick says, do your job. Let's head back to the lines. Len is in Maryland. Len, what's happening? All right. Len, apparently a man of very few words because a dial tone is never usually a good sign when we throw to a caller. So that will do that. Short, sweet. And to the point, as we move along here 
on Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. So this is going to be a short week. And, Paul, before we close up shop, just real quickly looking ahead, I know we're going to get more into the Eagles matchup over the next few days, but you know this is going to be a true test for Joe Judge in terms of how he manages the roster this week because we had a number of guys that were banged up over the course of this game. You know, Clearly, it's encouraging to hear about C.J. Board being released from the hospital, but Peppers was banged up. Martinez was banged up and also Darnay Holmes with the neck injury so the injury report and how much you get out of this roster over the next few days is going to be a big part of the storyline entering Thursday you have two teams that are really licking their wounds a lot of bumps and bruises and with a short week it's not going to get much fun for any of these coaches as they lose a lot of sleep trying to figure out who they're going to have available and at what percentage they're going to have them trying to win this game So that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. Special thanks to Pearson for his assistance. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Always stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll speak to you tomorrow at noon Eastern on Tuesday. Have a good one.